Good evening and welcome back to Ulcerative Colitis Motherhood and Me. I'm Ulcerative Colitis Mama and tonight's episode I want to dedicate solely to Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week which has been held this week in the UK. Um, as most of you know um, a lot of my blogging has been around mental health um, and especially my experiences of being a new parent. Um, I wasn't alone on this journey uh, into parenthood. I had a really good friend Rachel that um, kind of walked the path with me and that's why like tonight I um, actually sought her help if you like to to throw some ideas uh, together and just talk about our experiences. So before we um, I go into our um, interview tonight or our chat um, I just want to put a trigger warning in um, just to because we will be talking about maternal mental health which will encompass you know childbirth our birth experiences um, our experiences of ne- like sort of negative experiences around how we um, raised our children and um, just how the stigma is still prevalent there and just how we um, you know how our negative experiences did impact on us as new parents now uh, in addition to that um, we are not giving out any um, we're not medical professionals although I'm a healthcare professional I'm not qualified in maternal care at all Um, so this is solely a non-professional informal discussion between myself and my friend this evening who just happens to have um, she has sources in hypnobirthing and alternative birth um, therapies and things so it's just like I said an informal discussion but it is sharing our experiences and and how we feel that the the system perhaps needs to change and perhaps the language within maternity care may need to change too. Um, So without further ado, I'll introduce my friend Rachel and we'll get chatting. Okay. Um, on my podcast this is Rachel she's been my friend for wow about seven eight years now probably um <laughs> so we uh just a little bit of background Rachel and I um were pregnant about the same time I think we got pregnant within about two weeks of each other didn't we um yeah I remember you were the half like messaging me when I think we were on honeymoon to say that you were pregnant I was like oh my god I've got to buy you something at the same time I bought something for us like oh just in case we got we got pregnant around the same <laughs> okay <laughs> so um obviously uh this week has been um maternal mental health awareness week hasn't it so mm-hmm. and it's something very very sort of close to both of our hearts isn't it um yeah, and currently uh Rachel is pregnant with her third baby so how many weeks pregnant are you now Rach? I'm 30 now. It's oh my god, that has gone so quick. See, lockdown babies. See, but like with the like with the first one, I remember like oh, it's it's like nine weeks now. I was going to be ages till I'm ten weeks. What's going to happen at ten weeks? Then with the second, it went really fast, and now it's like we found out I was pregnant really really early because we planned it. So I found out I was pregnant at like four weeks. I was like, oh, this is going to be a slow pregnancy, and then bang, I'm. I'm 30 weeks pregnant <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's crazy isn't it so um yeah. obviously we were we were first time mums together weren't we so we mm-hmm. kind of went into this completely blind didn't we although we yeah. you know 
um our kids were planned and and everything and it was all like hypothetically we were going to be super mums weren't we mm-hmm. um but you know obviously expectation versus reality it's uh not always as it seems yeah is it? yeah uh, and you um, always have things like especially after the first isn't it? it's like why has no one told me about this why does no one mention this to me like everyone mentions like, oh you're having a baby shower and where are you getting your clothes from what travel system are you getting and then you get to the other end of it and you're like why did no one tell me about this exactly and it's almost like you feel like embarrassed to sort of admit that especially if you're struggling as well I mean god mm-hmm. they don't they say that sleep deprivation is a, a form of torture in in, uh, in yeah. some places you know yeah. it's uh it's horrific you know and it's and it it's that almost like that um that admit admission of um struggling or or you know finding it not as rose tinted as as you think it would be mm-hmm. it's almost admitting that that there's a failure on your part really isn't there and it's it's yeah. you know and it's that I think that hits you even harder really doesn't yeah. it um, and it's not a case of of it's not black and white is it it's not like you take no. or you don't you could be the most amazing like home birthy earth mother and you'll still have you'll still have times when you think I miss my old life like I had I could do so much when the baby wasn't here and then that doesn't I think it takes a while to get into your head that that doesn't mean your feelings for the baby change anymore because I know that can build up quite a lot of mum guilt or it did with me anyway yeah yeah and I think it did well with both of us in sort of different ways really didn't it because Mm -hmm. um you know um we both didn't get the birth experience we wanted and I think that kind of hit us both quite hard didn't it really um so um obviously on my my previous podcast episodes I've I've discussed my my birth experience um Mm -hmm. but Rachel I don't know if you want to um sort of mention how um sort of C's delivery how she sort of came came to being really yeah um Um, I've always been somebody who plans something to like the nth degree I need to know what's happening when it's happening so when it started off really early when we we were always going to find out like opposite to you we were always going to find out the sex of the baby so I booked a day off work when we were going for the scan and I was like oh we'll go for either blue clothes or pink clothes depending on what we find out so we went to the scan and we were just told no they're being difficult I was like no no I don't think you understand I need to know this baby (laughs) is a girl or boy and we came out of the scan not knowing. So I was like, I need to know. So we had to book a gender scan for the next day just so I could find out. So um, that sort of wanting to be in control, that that went into my my birth plan as well. So I, I did hypnobirthing as well. Um, and I we planned a home birth. And um, in my birth plan, it was um, no vaginal examinations, um, I don't want any pain relief or I don't want it offered to me. If I know what my options are, I will ask if, if I feel like I need it. It was all going to be lovely. And Jay got in on it as well. And then it got to my due date. I was like, oh, this baby's going to be here. I'll just I'll just sit and wait about on my due date for this baby to arrive. And she didn't. <laughs> and she didn't for a good while after that. And it was then that my midwife started saying, oh, we like to get baby out now. And because I'd done hypnobirth and I knew I could say, well, well, no, I'm, I'd rather wait. I'd rather wait for her to come on her own. So we waited and waited and waited. And I got to, four, I think it was 42 weeks. 
and I had one I had really good midwives all the way through my pregnancy and then just this one she wasn't nice at all I went into labor and it started stalling and she she came out and said to us she was like do you realize you're putting your baby in danger doing this and like knowing what I know now looking back I really well while you're in that sort of situation you, you don't know what you'll do but I was like oh my god oh my god I best go into hospital to go and have this baby so uh, we did that was the first part of of the plan out the window um I had my my waters broken there was a lot of meconium um I was so I was flat mm. on my back for um continuous monitoring and I remember saying to one of the midwives like I've, I've got a high pain threshold why, why is this hurting so much I'm only one centimeter dilated and she said you're having a baby it's meant to hurt so that just got into my head why I, I can't cope with giving birth to my baby. So they put me on the drip. Um, I asked for an epidural. It took, I think it was about 90 minutes to get the epidural. And as soon as the epidural went in, her heart rate crashed and we had to go straight for a section. Um, I'm lucky. I'm probably really lucky that the epidural was in place by then because otherwise it would have been under general anaesthetic. So um coming around after that obviously I'm overjoyed I've got this this beautiful baby and she was okay after after the section she just um she was just a bit short on oxygen but she was fine once she was born but it just led me to thinking I failed at the first sort of inverted commas test of being a mum I I didn't give birth to my baby yeah and uh, that is like that negative sort of connotation that just because you had to have an emergency C-section, because she had to come out the sunroof, it's like automatically deemed as, oh, you didn't give birth properly, did you? You didn't, you yeah. didn't sort of, you know, do it the in the conventional sense, and that's quite a yeah. negative um, yeah. connotation. That's usually from other women, I found yeah. as well. I think a lot of that was what I put on myself, but like you said, it's it's the it's from other people like, oh, you you took the easy way out, did you? So that will. <laughs> no, I had major surgery because my baby could have died if I hadn't. So yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it and and then you carry that then because then you think, oh, I shouldn't feel sad about this. I shouldn't yeah. grieve about this because mm-hmm. people are telling me to like, oh, well, at least at least your baby's healthy. At least you're healthy, oh, isn't yeah, it? The it's... Toxic, I hate, hate, hate. It's a massive bugbear of mine. The toxic positivity around absolutely around babies and it's just like when you when you're strong enough to tell someone your story without breaking down when you tell them it and they say oh oh well at least at least you're both here and safe and you just immediately take that it's like right so my my feelings aren't valid my experience isn't valid so it must exactly. be something wrong with me in the way that I'm dealing with it rather than it just being which it is it's a completely natural response to something like that happened it's a drama it's a, it's a trauma Mm-hmm. It's a trauma and it's a and it's a loss in its sense because you like you said, you know, you've always been super organized, you've been um mm. control's always been a big part of your life. And then for that to be just taken completely away from you, like your your decision, your you know, and then you're as you're in labor and you're at probably the most vulnerable point in your in, in your life, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, you're being told that um you're giving birth what you expect and you're being told 
basically that you've left it too long to be to go for an induction that you've yeah. been you know and it's all this negative and these are from health pe- healthcare professionals as well aren't they? Mm-hmm. you know it's frightening really it, um, yeah especially as you think oh healthcare professionals they'll all be saying the same thing they're not there's they're singing from so many different like hymn sheets like where yeah. well, I had my uh, my two girls their policies are so so different to the hospital and to the trust that I'm under now because even though I've had a previous section they're like you're, you're not high risk um I, we're planning a home birth again and the midwife I was I was sort of half expecting a fight from them as well but when I mentioned that yes we've had a previous section um I have a tendency to go over 42 weeks they didn't even bat an eyelid they were like oh okay yeah that's fine yeah and and it that must be such a massive relief for you that you don't have to like fight this time I know yeah. for for H you kind of had to fight quite a bit to get to get yeah. some sort of element yeah. of control in your birth plan didn't mm-hmm. you and it was just like oh we'll, well you'll have to see the the consultant because that's what happens after you've had a c-section and you you can't be induced because and they just talk to you like you're stupid I know some people don't understand some of the terms they use but I've, I've done my research like I said I like being in control of stuff yeah. so, um, I looked for like vaginal birth after c-section I read that many books on it so I knew knew what the risks were um, I knew that the risks were still higher to have a repeat section to have a natural birth so and if you tell this to some like professionals they'll be like oh all right okay so you know what you're talking about and they'll accept it whereas some are like oh well you're not you're not a midwife you're not a consultant you don't really know what you're talking about like excuse me I know my own body yeah exactly and you know what it's capable of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just you know so I'm glad in a way I know you had quite a, a another sort of um you know H your your second daughter she had a bit of a um you know your your birth wasn't deemed as sort of like a textbook um, no, time, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I felt so much more in control because everything that I was um, I was offered and I'll use offered in this one because I, I read up and I knew that you can't be forced into anything in pregnancy even even like c-sections now they, they can't make you have a c-section they have to offer it to you and explain the pros and cons of it yeah so everything that was offered in h's birth i was like well right why are you recommending this what are the the possible effects of it could it affect me could it affect the baby what would happen what what other other any alternatives that we can do so even though again i did end up um going on the drip we were a lot more active and stuff i wasn't lying on the bed um and everything everything like even little intervention we had that was at my say so and that was really really good so even though it wasn't a straightforward birth um it was as straightforward as I would have liked it because we were home 24 hours after the birth yeah and and I knew I could tell you every bit about the birth I didn't go into like the shock of capture sort of what is happening now so I could tell you every bit about her birth and I'd still talk about it in a really like positive positive light yeah and and it was it because I think it was you know um such a massive change as well from from when C was born to when H was born and um were they born in the same trust as well were they born in the same they were yeah they yeah. were we had we did have a really good consultant she 
she's like a, a v-back um, vaginal birth after cesarean she's like a v-back trailblazer apparently wow. and even though we'd planned for a, a home birth with her she let me know the risks because they obviously they legally have to but she didn't harp on about them whereas one of my midwives did say like, you're not allowed this because you've had a c-section that like, well I am you just have to tell me the risks about it and if I accept those risks then that's what I'm going to do exactly and the thing is I think you know uh, obviously I'm a healthcare professional as well um but there is no point in my my career that I could openly say that I've used my own personal opinion on somebody's treatment plan so I've I've seen like a bit of a, a a you know a, a repeating kind of history when I've spoken to other other you know new mum friends about the languages that some midwives use not so not all just some yeah. and it's uh you know and it is this this negative basically um almost accusing you of putting your your health or your baby's health at risk for the decisions that you've made even though you've made informed decisions Mm -hmm. and that like you said you've done your research haven't you it's Mm -hmm. a friend of mine when she was she had a a v-back um about 18 months before i did and she went to see a consultant and was explaining she wanted a home birth and word for word the consultant said to her you need to care more about the baby in your stomach than the baby at home if you have this baby at home you could both die that's just it's just absolute you know and Mm -hmm. and they wonder why you know that there's such a you know prevalence in maternal mental health you know mental illness Mm -hmm. because it's starting right from the moment of conception really you you, you're Mm -hmm. scared enough as it is even if you like like yourself you're a bit of a veteran to to (laughs) having babies now but you know it there's still that element of anxiety whoever however um you know grounded you are however well supported you are it's still frightening that your body's shared with another human being for for nine ten months you know and it's mm-hmm. you know and and they wonder like the, the choice of language you know um i mean and it's like the in like the infant this is a big word for this time of night but the infantilization of pregnant women it's the oh good girl and it's, yeah. it's just really like covert like um coercion like i've i've spoken to um an expectant mum she's She's a bit older than me. She's eight, so she's been told. Obviously, if you get to forty weeks, we'll induce you because you're an older mum. And then she started questioning it, and the consultant like got her back up a bit, and she was like, "Oh well, you seem like um like um what was it she said? Um, you seem like a reasonable sort of woman. So I thought you'd accept what I was saying. I was like, that's just coercion. Wow, that is coercion. That and. And, you know, if I did that in my role, I mean, obviously, I'm not a midwife, I'm a nurse, and it's a completely different kettle of fish. But Mm -hmm. I I can't, I can't be seen as leading uh, questions or leading somebody's treatment plan, they've got to make that decision by themselves, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's frightening. I mean, I've been looking at some statistics, you know, before we we came on this evening, and things like, you know, nine out of 10 women that have any form of anxiety like perinatal um you know so that's anything from conception right up until a year after birth nine out of ten women who had some level of um anxiety or depression or you know anything under that umbrella experienced stigma um Mm -hmm. which is you know and that's you know and 
only 7% of women that have um, experienced any sort of perinatal illness, you know, mental mental ill health, only 7% have actually been referred for specialist support. Horrific. You know, and th- th- these are like facts and figures. I mean, I've got uh, my facts and figures from the uh, Maternal uh, Mental Health Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, you know, this is relatively, um, you know, groundbreaking new um, campaign. And it is, it's, you know, uh, they're saying like one in 10 women will go on to develop a mental health condition mm-hmm. perinatally. So you know and that can be anxiety depression psychosis it can be it can be any any of that and it and they Mm -hmm. wonder could this be could this be picked up maybe by the language that yeah uh, midwives are using um again it's validating your feelings it's like when like why right i'm i'm scared i'm i'm in because you're having a baby but and then you start questioning yourself. It's it's crazy. I, I just one like misplaced word or wrongly chosen phrase can put that in your head, and then you're having flashbacks and going back to that, and you're playing it over and over and over in your head. It's horrible. It's it is. Horrible. It is. And then you know, I I had a friend who um she gave birth uh, right in the middle of uh second lockdown in november and um you know this she's again very highly educated girl she's a social worker um <laughs> and she's a specialist a safeguarding specialist and uh, so she's not you know you know uh, very you know like i said very straight to the point you know mm-hmm. very um she wasn't going in with rose tinted glasses mm-hmm. and unfortunately bless her after 36 hours she had to go for an emergency c-section um and having talked about it with her in sort of great length she there is an element now that she feels like she's failed because she feels like she hasn't given birth properly and mm-hmm. i don't know if it's perhaps the language she's used she's had issues postnatally with her midwives as well the way they've spoken to mm-hmm. her um mm-hmm. again like she's like she's an idiot so like she's a child and she's mm-hmm. you know she's a 33 year old woman you know 32 33 year old woman um with a master's degree you know so it's and i'm not saying necessarily it's education i think people are you know intelligent in their own right and as long as they're mm-hmm informed fully of risks and things like yeah. that women should have more more you know autonomies more power um, mm-hmm. that's the thing to... they, they do have they just don't know they do because of healthcare professionals like that saying you're not allowed this because in in my work like in the birth industry as well the, the like worst thing I hear and the most upsetting thing I, I hear is like oh I, I didn't realize you were allowed to do that Oh, in my trust, yeah. I'm not allowed to do that. So you can do anything you want. You can, you can have, you can have your baby in the garden, surrounded by all your woodland friends, if you want. <laughs> yeah, let's go on full, uh, you know, Snow White mode. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just sad. Oh no, I, I didn't know. I like I wasn't allowed to do this. They said I couldn't do this. It's just they have to make sure that you're informed of all the all the things that might happen um they legally have to do that but that's all they have to do they don't have to like hammer it home to you they don't have to it's it's just sad and it's it's like bullying really isn't it you know and it's like i said it's not 
it's not everybody. I mean, I had, you know, I was in hospital a week after little G was born and, um, you know, I had wonderful midwives postnatally and, and even during my labor as well, I had some, you know, I had a student midwife who was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had sort of, I, you know, and I've mentioned this on previous episodes, I had a, a threatened early labor. Um, so I'd gone in at 33 weeks, hadn't I? And, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was almost like the, um, well, you've, you've basically got a 70% chance of not reaching full term, i.e. 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. So the moment I left that hospital, no, mm-hmm. um, I basically got too scared to leave the house by myself because yeah. in in my mind, I thought my waters are just going to break like when yeah. I'm in, in the supermarket, you know, they or they're going to break when I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, out in public and I've got nobody to support me, you know, and it, it was like, so that was like fear inducing already. Were and you went, like, yeah, were you sort of given any support like after you left the hospital about that though, just somebody you could talk to or was it just like, oh, no, it was basically like, uh, just follow up with your midwife as you normally would. So I think I saw my midwife mm-hmm. a week after I left hospital and mm-hmm. it wasn't even my regular community midwife. It was another woman that I didn't know. Um, so she didn't know how, how I was. And, you know, I so she had to learn about me all over again and my anxieties and my worries and, and, and things like that. And then, you know, I, I just ended up having to be monitored for my um blood pressure then um mm-hmm. because then it was like oh your blood pressure's a bit high and I remember looking at it thinking oh it's not that, that high really um but they were like oh you might get a preeclampsia oh great just give me that to worry that's gonna set me um blood pressure up isn't it worrying about that you know so it was again it and I remember going in and I'd had my second sweep and um from my community midwife um because I'd gone there to get my blood pressure checked again and mm-hmm. I was plus I was 40 plus four and um she I I she said look your blood pressure's still a bit high do you mind if you go to the, the midwife led unit just to get checked out so I was like yeah mm-hmm. absolutely fine uh, my mum took me just in case I ended up staying there and um I started getting cramping and this cramping was like quite uncomfortable mm-hmm. They put me on a monitor for half an hour and they said, oh, no, you're fine. Go home. But I'd actually said to, to the midwife, look, I'm, I'm getting it's almost like period pain. I'm feeling I'm feeling quite uncomfortable. And she went, oh, that's probably just because you've had a sweep. <sighs> and, and when I actually was in the throes of labor at home mm-hmm. and I phoned the unit and said, look, I think I need to come in now. I don't I, I feel really I'm, they're coming every couple of minutes now. It was the same midwife. And she said, oh, hang on. No, you can still speak in a full sentence. You don't need to come in. Oh, my God. Just take some paracetamol. And I thought, do you know what? I hope to God I never see her again. Yeah. Because we've been so patronising. After, like, doing hypnobirthing and doing it again in this pregnancy, we've been told, well, if, if you are going to go into hospital or when you ring up, always make sure the first thing you tell them is you are hypnobirthing because there have been so many birth, like uh, birth before arrival of the midwives because they've been like breathing through their surges, breathing through their contractions yeah. and the midwife on the other end of the phone going, no, you're not, you're not even in active labour yet. You've got fine. Don't, don't come in. Don't come in. We won't send a midwife out. <laughs> so 
even though it's your first you 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 know you subconsciously know don't you I think I think you know because it was almost like quite an in, instinctual like almost like a prim, yeah. like primal thing mm-hmm. that I was like right I need to, just this pain to go away now uh you know and it was just and I felt very very irritable <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, don't tell me that I'm not in pain. I said, yeah. I know my pain threshold. And right now I'm in pain. I'm stuck to my bedroom floor and I can't get up. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, and needless to say, when I rang back about half half an hour, maybe an hour later, um, it was a different midwife. And she was like, oh, honey, oh, come in, love. It's absolutely fine. And I was seven centimeters dilated. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I felt like going, screw you you know this is you know (laughs) I really was in labor honestly you know it's just but you know and and I think like the after effects of it as well it was just you know where you know not necessarily just just the births as well but it was almost like the the period after I mean obviously I I ended up developing ulcerative colitis on top of being a new parent but then it was like the (laughs) you know oh breastfeeding versus bottle feeding versus you know and it was like you know because Rachel and I both breastfed didn't we Rach Mm -hmm. um and we were very proud of the fact that you know Mm -hmm. and and personally for me because I had such a bad experience with um my delivery and things I felt like breastfeeding was one thing I got right yeah yeah same here it's like I've got I've got to get this right because the first bit didn't go so well yeah and and then again you've got the Oh, you're not breastfeeding, are you? Yeah. Ooh, that's so old fashioned. Exactly. And like we both got like you you fed to like I fed to natural term um Connie weaned when she was oh <laughs> like three and a half. Um yeah. and we had all the like, oh, you're making a rod for your own back, you're gonna be breastfeeding her till she's eighteen. So like, well, obviously <laughs> not. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh it it just it it just makes me laugh because you know the one the one good thing about me and Rachel is that um we've both got very different um views mm -hmm. and different ways of how we raise our kids but ultimately it's for this ultimately the same goal is to keep them alive and keep them safe and loved um but I've never understood that like in in mum groups how you'll be best friends one minute and then somebody will disagree with the way you do something and then that's it they don't speak again it's like that's you know because you know it's like how you know I didn't breastfeed till till little G was three and a half because um that child's too wild for a start and (laughs) and I had to I had different sort of um views on it anyway but then I went back to work when he was seven and a half months old so it was like a I felt that I'd done my bit in that sense um but obviously you you continued it for a lot longer and you know there was like this okay I probably wouldn't have done it but how Mm -hmm. is you you breastfeeding your daughter till she's three three and a half going to affect my life exactly you know it's it's not it shouldn't keep me up all night (laughs) I mean it's like it's Mm -hmm. not going to have an a, a direct impact on me it doesn't how anyone's bringing their child up it doesn't affect anyone else does it so why are they getting so involved especially during lockdown as well and I've I know so many so many new mums that have and it's it's not about I don't believe that 
everyone should breastfeed. I believe that everyone who wants to breastfeed should be able to and supported to give to, to breastfeed. Absolutely, and yeah. Just not there during lockdown. It's why I've been trained to be a breastfeeding peer supporter as well. Oh, fantastic. But I hate it. I really, really get annoyed with people saying, um, oh, breastfeeding is the most, most natural thing in the world. Yes, it is the most natural, but it's so hard. And there are so many little obstacles you can come up against, which yeah. if you haven't got the support there could mean that your breastfeeding journey lasts a week, 10 days, which is still impressive because, yes, you have breastfed your baby. But the fact that you wanted to do it for longer, that's the main thing. So like the oh, the fed is best. I hate that slogan because it just invalidates the mum's feelings. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, a fed baby but as well, like fed is best sort of implies that there's another option it's like fed is best but you can always starve your baby yeah it's it's not a very good it's not a very good sort of slogan to have really and I'm I'm very much if you want to bottle feed your baby if you want to breastfeed if you want to get a wet nurse I don't don't mean again it's not gonna have an impact on my life Mm -hmm. and it's you know providing you've done doing it safely and you, your baby's like I said your baby is actually getting the nutritional support it needs you know it's not gonna it's not gonna make me lose sleep but um again going back to my friend my social worker friend who had a baby uh, five and a half months ago um bearing in mind her mum's probably only in her 50s so probably about the same age as my mum him when she found out um she was breastfeeding she she was disgusted and in those exact terms she was absolutely disgusted because she said it was it was um it was something the lower classes did <laughs> like I didn't realize we'd gone back to the 1950s I was like wow you know I was just like I, I couldn't actually form words when she told me that I was I I just Oh, it was... like ideas people have around breastfeeding like people against um like natural term breastfeeding them saying oh it's all for the mum's benefit it's like how like your milk just doesn't stop having any nutritional value and yes there are benefits for the mum if you carry on if you carry on feeding like that it lowers ovarian and breast cancer risk but how can it why would the it just it just boggles me like why would it just be for the mum no and then and why would you say that to to your your daughter who has gone through exactly. quite a traumatic she's had a baby in the middle of lockdown so mm. her partner who's one of my best friends wasn't actually able to be with her for, for the first oh, 36 God. hours well 30 so hours because yeah. he wasn't allowed in until she went into established i'm using that in inverted commas established labor and then he was only allowed to stay for about three hours after his son was born. And your your talent, she's already having these really upsetting feelings about her her having a, a C-section. And next minute, she's been criticised almost for choosing to breastfeed her son. By somebody who's meant to support them no matter exactly, what. Exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, and, you know, and I've had another mum as well who... who was desperate to breastfeed because she wasn't breastfed herself and she felt that was why her immune system wasn't so great and then because of um like anatomically she wasn't able to breastfeed there were there were issues with her anatomy so she 
struggled and but she she'd got herself into such a stress over it mm-hmm. um again that she felt like she was a failure because uh, the midwives are waking up every two to three hours to try and get her to express but she said she physically couldn't get him to la- uh, get the baby to latch and she you know um that really really upset her so mm-hmm. but then her yeah son- like the support should come from like other places because not all midwives are highly trained in breastfeeding like I've, no. I've got a friend who's recently um given birth and the midwife's like yeah yeah just put just put baby to the boob put baby to the boob and he's not he wasn't latching he wasn't latching like for days it was lucky her milk came in quite quickly and it would she had quite a strong letdown so she could feed him but he was getting annoyed because he was he wasn't getting on properly and then I yeah. started thinking like you've got to be careful because then you can get damage to the nipples if they're not if they're not like latched on properly and then she got in touch with a lactation consultant who straight away she was like nipple shields and as soon as she used nipple shields baby was feeding fine so like for for some people that would have ended their breastfeeding journey whereas it's it's just being like knowing that that support is out there and being able to access that sort of that sort of support as well yeah and again it's looking at those midwives and saying okay I you know that you know I don't understand their training it's like I said it's completely different to how I was trained but it's having that evidence base as well and having that being able to educate your patients your well your your lady um and and being able to go right okay maybe I don't know how to help you breastfeed but I'll get somebody to to help you because I've also seen it where women have chosen to um exclusively bottle feed which is Mm. you know again fine um Mm. you know it's mother's choice for that as well and the midwives actually being really off with them because they mm-hmm. oh you, you haven't even tried oh but some people can't you know I've got a friend who's on immunosuppression therapy so she cannot That's t- it, could be like, it could be like a sexual abuse survivor and it's not something you'd want to announce oh this is the reason why I'm not breastfeed it's just yeah. I've chosen not to leave me be there, there could be a thousand different reasons why a, a woman doesn't want to breastfeed a child and she shouldn't be made to feel like a criminal because she's just said no Again, yeah. it's like you said about having that that you know power to say no, or actually, I want to do this my way, not the way you're telling me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that almost like you know when because sometimes babies' weight drops, doesn't it? You know, after mm-hmm. they're born, mm-hmm. and it's almost like that accusation. Well, he's not feeding enough. You yeah. know, I, I had it off my health visitor. Well, you've had your issues, haven't you? And that was me. Um, with colitis for you know kind of going undiagnosed for Mm. probably two months um you know having this you know and I I fought so hard to continue breastfeeding um Mm -hmm. because I thought no I'm gonna do it with my very last breath I'm going to breastfeed my child Mm -hmm. and he did drop away or he maintained or something when he should have um put weight on and he didn't and that just that those few words immediately I'd already had issues with her anyway that I couldn't trust her and that Mm. just validated that for me that I could no longer trust her as my healthcare professional so I left that practice and went somewhere else but with Um, weight gain as well like it's it's not going to be the same as when you're pregnant it's not going to be linear you're not going to put on or your baby's not going to put on half a pound in this many weeks and then 
in the same number of weeks, it's going to put another half pound on. They just fluctuate, don't they? It's the same as when, when you're pregnant and you're getting measured. Sometimes you might be slightly lower than, than the average. Sometimes you might be slightly higher. And there's too much emphasis, I think, put on. Because I think um, Connie, she dropped, like, it wasn't, it was hardly anything. It was in her, in her weight. And then the first thing that the health visitor said was, all right, well, we might have, and it was, oh, we might have to start introducing a topper with formula. I was like, we? <laughs> no, we won't. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, well, you know, I just, it... I just think it needs to be more bespoke with every, every new mum, every baby, every pregnant woman. It's not a one size fits all and it's no. never going to be. You know, di- people have different cultural um, views on on you know childbirth and and mm-hmm. you know uh, maternal care. There are different spiritual beliefs. There are different um, you know there are different dietary needs. You know, the, we, like you said, it's not one size fits all. We're all different. We're all different body types. Our bodies can only um, tolerate so much. Each of us, you know, we've all got different pain thresholds. It's mm-hmm. You know, and I think there there probably does need to be some sort of shake up there with the terminology that some healthcare professionals do yeah. use, and that, that that blame culture really needs to kind of go mm-hmm. away, really, um, because then I know that I mean she the, the the lady again I had I went to see my practice nurse um, for my six week check, you know, postnatal check. Um, she didn't examine me. Uh, bearing in mind I had an episiotomy and internal suturing um, mm-hmm. from my delivery. Um, I also flagged up to her then that I was having bowel trouble, um, mm-hmm. you know, quite severe bowel trouble, uh, which mm-hmm. turned out to be obviously colitis. Mm-hmm. And she just went, oh, it's probably just after your birth, like just totally shook it off. Um, she also, I had little G in his um, car seat and he was again a bit niggly, so I just rocked him in his car seat because they have little rockers on, don't they? Yeah. And um, she said, "Oh, oh, you're making a rod for your back there. Don't go rocking him, otherwise he'll only get to sleep if you rock him." Sorry. <laughs> and then from then on, I just sort of said, "I vowed never ever to see her again for whatever health need I ever had." Mm-hmm. I, I, in hindsight, I wish I'd put in a complaint in. Yeah. Um, because to me, I was at a very vulnerable stage and I was actually trying to outreach for help then. Mm-hmm. So I look, is this normal for me to have bowel trouble after mm-hmm. having my child? Thinking I'd had like a birth injury or I could yeah. have had anything. And she just sort of dismissed it. And then she said, oh, you're here for the pill. Yeah, yeah, that's what I had. Yeah, the only checkup I had after like an emergency C-section was my six-week checkup with my military doctor. And all I got, um, I got lectured on the different contraception that I should be on, which I've never, I've never got on with, like hormonal contraception. So I explained that um, that I wasn't going to be taking it. And then I got told, I did, my scar wasn't even looked at. And I just got told, yeah, you should be all right. And again, I'd had stitches as well. Um, she was like, yeah, you should be all right for sex now. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's the first thing that's on my mind. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the first thinking... thing us ladies jump to uh, is how to please our better halves, isn't it? Yeah. Not. You're, good to, you're good to go back to um, exercise now as well. So being a, a previous powerlifter and quite a keen crossfitter, 
seven weeks after an emergency c-section I went back to crossfit um like clean and jerk snatching deadlifting and that was nearly five years ago and I ruined my lower back I've wrecked my lower back doing that because of course you shouldn't be doing stuff like that no and I think if you're you know, obviously your military doctor is obviously showing, a, you know, reflecting on their own sort of shortcomings there in their, their practice. Because um, obviously you're not the first military mum in the world and you won't certainly won't be the last. And, you know, that that could have actually had a massive, you know, obviously, you, you like you said, you've damaged your lower back now, but that could have had massive implications on your C-section scars as well. You know, it could have... You know, because you've obviously you've had to um, have muscle, um, you know, you've had your muscle compromised and things like that. So your, you know, your ability to sort of stand upright, things like that, it's all going to be affected by. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it's again, it's like that like dismissal, really, that it's like self-inflicted. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what other operation would you have that you'd have? Like one checkup at six weeks after and that would be it, like, no rehab no physio after it's it's crazy and again that pressure on the the new mum if she is struggling think why am I struggling I shouldn't be yeah and um it took up to because I think I mean off the top of my head you do get like a a a mental health kind of uh check-in really with your health visitor some uh I, I don't know if it's about eight eight weeks something like that but mm-hmm. I, for some reason, I don't know if it was like six or eight weeks and it was a home visit. And mm-hmm. um, I remember like my my sort of um, discussion, my health visitor about my mental health came a bit a bit too late, really, because I think yeah. I was showing signs of having issues way before that that interval. And um, I mean, to be fair to her, um, although I didn't trust her and I had my almost psychotic um, kind of experience uh convincing myself that she was going to take little g away from me mm-hmm. um plus the fact of her, her her terminology and her language around um his weight and my ability to feed um she um you know she did actually the one plus point she did is refer me to a support group for women mm-hmm. with postnatal depression and that came with some talking therapy as well which I did find highly beneficial um but uh, it was almost a bit like I could have I I was kind of hoping it because you can't just like scream in somebody's face I'm struggling sometimes it's very difficult you know and like even looking at the you know the maternal mental health alliance you know saying like seven seven and ten of those women Mm-hmm. feel they either play down their symptoms or they just don't talk mm-hmm. about it because they're scared mm-hmm. of being judged mm-hmm. you know and it, it it something needs to change doesn't it you know and it you know there's something a... I've, I've picked up as well with working with like pregnant and like really new postnatal mums is like their like trauma's not quantifiable it, it really really upsets me when I hear like a, a new mum who's had a birth not go to plan or is, yeah. is traumatic in their eyes and they'll tell you about it and you can see they're they're really affected by it but then they'll end it with well it's not as bad it's not as bad as xyz's birth so like yeah. I can't complain but it's it's a stupid way to look at it and I know some healthcare professionals will will like put it that way it's like saying um you win a thousand pounds on the lottery um your friend wins five thousand pounds so because your friend 
has won more than you, you can't be happy. It's, yeah, she thinks like it's, you're, it's exactly that. Mm, you're absolutely like you might experience something different to how how I experience something. You might find something like you might find my ideal birth. You might find that traumatic, and it's it's the person's experience, not what actually happened, that matters. I think exactly. And the thing is, it's you know, I felt that although as a health with my my nurse's hat on, my you know from. The moment my son was delivered, I knew that they, they, they'd done everything right. They'd done everything. They, they did it quickly. I wasn't hanging around. It was it was all over and done with. And, um, you know, and I can't, you know, I can't criticize the, the, the care I had, the support I had at the time. But, you know, being told, you know, and I, I remember sort of talking about my my birth story to somebody and they sort of said, well, you should be thankful that you're both okay, same same as yourself after after your daughter was born. Um, think about so so down the road that you know wasn't so lucky or ended up with this that and the other, and you're like, wow, gaslighting, yeah, it's terrible. And I and I said it's not a competition, mm. and it's and you know I remember talking to my mum about it, and to be fair, my mum is probably the most sensible person I talk to. Um, well, except yourself, obviously, Rachel. About <laughs> around this time after I had I had my son was, it's all relative, and mm. I've never forgotten that. And you know, and I like to edu- you know, and I like to sort of stem that through my, especially my mental health and my colitis sort of um, chats I do on my podcast because no two people are the same, and no two people are going to experience the same issues. It's it's how it affects you how it's personal to you and how it affects you and it's you know and people need to to be a bit more uh, mindful of that really um and not like I said not invalidating it Mm. I Um, think it's really um it's not well known about is that on the NHS there's something called a birth afterthoughts um session where you can meet up with with a midwife who will actually go through your notes because I know that plays a lot on like like somebody who doesn't know anything about the medical profession like they did this to me why why was that done why did they offer me this I know with with um, my eldest birth like we got pregnant well we fell pregnant quite quickly by accident with my second's birth when she was about 10 weeks old and that's when I started thinking I don't want the birth to go like my eldest did yeah because it was still quite fresh in your mind wasn't it you know yeah. with a gap yeah, that small absolutely. yeah um but then we looked into it and we got offered this this birth like reflections meeting and it was with an amazing VBAC uh, midwife and she just talked through everything and I cried and I cried and I cried but I felt better after it I knew why everything was done I knew a few things maybe shouldn't have done maybe a different midwife or a different consultant might have done things yeah. differently but it was just nice to know what happened I think a lot of women need that closure especially Definitely. when Definitely. something has gone quite to quite to plan and it's going to play on your mind and it will play on your mind until you get like final answers for it yeah I, I did something similar in in, in my local uh, NHS trust and mm. I actually wrote a letter to the head of the women's services at, at my local hospital. And um, it did take a while to get a response because apparently it got lost in his in-tray, which, you know, he probably shouldn't have mentioned that really. But yeah. um, 
I ended up uh, arranging a meeting with one of the labor ward sisters. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know this lady, but she, and she said, look, I can't, you, the, unfortunately the midwife that delivered um, your son no longer works here. And I hope for probably a good reason, not like she'd done anything bad, but yeah. she actually sat down and went through my notes and she said, you know, and I, and I'm a nurse as well. So I, I almost had this, um, I like my nurse's head, you know, I felt like, look, this must happen. This must happen. But, you know, and you have this like logical mind, but obviously mm-hmm. I've never been a midwife and I've got very, very limited knowledge of midwifery. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I found it very beneficial because she went through, she explained why, you know, like, like yours, why they had to make those decisions that, um, and she said, she said, I can't see any, um, you know, she said, I'm not looking for fault or blame. I just want an explanation. And she said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. She said, you know, if it makes you feel any better, there was no point and in your entire labor that your son was in any distress. His cord yeah. blood came back absolutely fine. He, his oxygen levels were fine. Um, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have um, experienced any sort of um, trauma from it. He wouldn't have been, exposed to anything like that and she said if anything we were probably a bit too efficient with you and mm-hmm. and that and I appreciated that and I left there feeling a lot uh you know and I, I like that big weight off my shoulders that yeah. I was able to fill in the gaps yeah right. anything, anything's better than not knowing isn't it, it definitely, no because <laughs> I'd already I'd already sort of catastrophized it all myself that I was at that you know I, I, I that I was in a lot more danger than I actually was and to be fair my you know uh, you know without sort of invalidating my own feelings I was in a in a fortunate position where I had a very good theatre team I had a very good midwife I had a great obstetrician and you know and um and gynae and I was absolutely I was never in any danger and neither was was little G so that was you know, and it and it, it did sort of help me um, sort of accept that, I suppose. Um, and I suppose it was good that she was she didn't know me as well because she could be a bit more impartial and not yeah. co- cover anything yeah. up or, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, obviously I'm going to start like obviously draw our chat to to a close shortly. But I just wanted to um, just for anybody out there as well that's interested in any um um how, how would we say it rachel alternative birthing um oh no it's going mainstream now I'm oh yeah okay we'll go mainstream then <laughs> so um rachel um is the owner of mama toto birthing um so that's a do- .co.uk isn't it website yeah. mm-hmm. um and you're also on insta as well aren't you and and mm-hmm. facebook um so if you want to give us a quick um sort of explanation a quick uh, rundown of what mama toto is Mm -hmm. and it may be very beneficial to anybody expectant or anybody um you know perhaps thinking of looking into um what you do um it it may may be very beneficial to them so over to you um I set this up um, after the birth of my second, just and I'd had my um, here's the the woo stick coming out now. I had my placenta encapsulated with both my births, and also I had a placenta smoothie with my second's birth. Um, I lost a lot of blood with, and I I had iron tablets sort of 
trying to be pushed on me, especially with my, my second birth, because I'd been on the, I'd been on the drip for so, so long. Um, had my bloods taken and they were like, you need, you need your iron tablets. You really need your iron tablets. And then had my bloods taken again, I think about five, five days to a week later. And my midwife was sort of smirking. Oh, so you took the, the iron tablets, did you? And I said, no, <laughs> that's all from my placenta, and my smoothie. So after that, um, and after my second birth, I was, even after my C-section birth, I was, I was up bouncing around like days later, like after a C-section, I was going for walks a few days later. And I attribute, attribute that most of that to my placenta pills. So um, I trained to do that in two, in December, 2018. Um, and up to date, I think I've done just over, I've just done over 50 placentas and I, um, encapsulate them into like vitamin form into little capsules I do tinctures which are which is like a liquid form of the capsules um, it's like a oh, what do you call them bath flower remedies so it's very good for um, hormonal imbalances it's good for mood stabilization and you can use that that's like an because it's the way it's suspended in alcohol um, you can use that right up until like menopause time. There's no use by date on it. And wow. um, I've also as well, I've just like literally today, I've updated my website because I've been trained in bespoke um, cosmetics. So I brought out a mum and baby skincare range. But because of the placenta stuff I do as well, I can also provide placenta oil. So it's an oil like personalized to you from your placenta if you're booking with me. Um I think it was the 19, it's um, just so people sell stuff like to the general public with human placenta in. So, but I'm allowed to provide a service where I can provide the oil and provide the products and then you combine them. Because in the 1970s, I think it was in France, hospitals over there got in a lot of trouble because without, without birthing women's um knowledge they were selling their placentas on oh crikey yeah cosmetic companies and they were using it because it's so high in in stem cells which is really good for like um, cell regeneration it's good for healing so they were putting that in in skincare and serums and creams and selling it for 300 pounds a bottle so they're they're not allowed to do that there are still some skincare brands that put pig placenta Oh, in their creams. And, and again they're like 150 200 pounds a bottle so this way it's like made out of your own placenta it's something you can use on yours and your baby skin so yeah that's that's just about to launch that's live on my on my website at the moment so I'm quite quite excited about that yeah and you know and um you know Rachel also does um the closing of the bones ceremonies as well don't you um mm-hmm which um again is it's quite a it's quite an ancient art really isn't it it's um... yeah yeah it's um um it originated in ecuador i think i'll have to look back at my notes but it's it's um yeah it's a massage ceremony rather than just a massage and it's really really good if you've had birth trauma if you've had um if you have thoughts around your birth that you haven't dealt with it's a really nice time to just sort of close that birthing period of your life and just reflect on it it's really 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 good to do so I like offering that it's very 
Um, I think it's healing. Most women that I've I've done it on have found it quite healing. And it's not something that you can have done. You don't have to have done immediately after your baby's born. Like I've I've done one for a woman who I think her son was like 17. Wow. And, and she thought, oh, this is just good. She said, oh, like, I don't think I've got anything like around my birth that I haven't, that I haven't thought of about. Um, and as I was doing this, she was like, oh, this has come back to me. And um, this is, this happened. And she got a bit upset about it. So it's just about like holding, holding space for the, the, the new or the old mum, just to like feel how they want to feel about their, about their birth. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I love training in that. It was really, really good. And we we always uh, we we've also said you know once um, you know COVID and lockdown restrictions are over and me and Rachel are able to meet meet up again because we live on opposite ends of the UK right now and yeah. um, that I've actually opted to do uh, closing the bone ceremony as well because um, I think even even almost five years on I feel like there's still a little bit of tension I suppose a little bit of um, anxiety around uh, around everything and I think it might just help put those those feelings to bed yeah. as well whether it's a whether it's you know you know prove it I don't even know if they can prove it but certainly very on a spiritual level most definitely yeah. will have some it can't do any harm anyway you know and it's and you know and just to sort of um you know sort of resources to anybody who may be struggling um perinatally or pre postnatal um there are fantastic resources out there you've got like I've said I've mentioned tonight the maternal mental health alliance and that's .org um you've got pandasfoundation.org.uk which I personally used myself to get um get support and advice about how I was feeling and of course you've got mind as well mind.org.uk which um do have a section on uh, women's health and maternal well-being as well um so by all means, if if you, because um, Rachel lives over in Lincolnshire, so if any listeners out there are in anywhere near that end of the UK, uh, where there are no mountains, um, <laughs> um, by all means, you know, just uh, look up mamatotobirthing.co.uk. And she, like I said, she's also on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And just have a look there and just see if anything sort of, you know, interest you and just drop her a message you know um, mm-hmm. Rachel's very very open aren't you and yeah even know. if it's not something just because I've been like working in the birthing world so long now if it's not something I offer there's like 99 times out of 100 there's someone I can I can sort of signpost you to or like oh I know somebody who does that I know somebody who can help you with that um and because like everything's over the internet now it doesn't have to be in a specific area I'll probably know somebody in your area that can help with whatever you need as well yeah and it's just you know and this is how you know how it should be with us with us women you know we should be all uh, coming together and fixing each other's crowns as they say you know and holding each other up because you know somebody else's um you know strength can help lift you uh, a particularly weak time and you know and I'm sure Rachel won't mind me saying that you know um Rachel was a very big part of my recovery um because she was yeah blessing and make us start crying now with her hormones but um but in all honesty it was because she'd gone through it pretty much near enough well within six weeks of um me having little g and it was somebody i could actually be honest to and somebody that i could have a moan to and a cry to and 
and that she just got got it she just understood it because she was going through it as well so you know when it's yeah even if you've had an amazing birth you've got an amazingly supportive partner you've got an amazing baby that sleeps through the night this like shit is hard you will have times where you just want to sit in a corner and cry even if everything else is going perfectly and people need to know that it's not all roses all the time and it shouldn't be because that's not normal for a normal person anyway. No, and if it is roses all the time, I'd be really, really worried. <laughs> um, but, you know, and it is, you know, and I've I've got friends that are new parents and, you know, they're saying, how on earth did I survive the sleep deprivation? I said, well, I did. I'm here to tell the tale. And I yeah. said, and the one thing that, that one big, massive good bit of advice that I can offer anybody mum dad birth partner whoever is I promise it gets easier I promise um especially the sleep deprivation because babies do settle they do um it may take a while um especially if they've got like colic or silent colic or um you know they've got you know feeding issues things like that but it does and it's just about tapping into that support and knowing what what's supportive in your in your local area um and you know, it's just and- talking honestly about your birth and about your struggles because you'll have one of your friends say, oh, my God, I thought that was just me. Yeah. And it's just so good to talk about stuff like that, like the stuff that even if it is like little things, niggly things, you'll have some that you'll think is sort of personal to you. You'll have someone else close to you. Oh, God, I went through that. And yeah. then that's how you get talking. That's how you get talking about how you, you dealt with it. And that's how you end up passing stuff on like that. Like, oh, I know somebody did this when this happens so yeah it just needs to be I think more honest more honest talk when when the when you're pregnant and then like more honest talk after the baby's there as well definitely and 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 you know as much as we we like to be you know especially us British we like to be all stiff upper lip and we get on with it because somebody's worse off than us it's all relative isn't it and it's you know like you said, even if you've had the most textbook wonderful birth, you know, it's quite normal, you know, if you don't feel that overwhelming sense of love straight away. Yeah. You know, that that's completely normal. Because especially if you've been through a horrible labour and a horrible birth, it's that's kind of normal. Um, you know, I certainly felt it and and then I felt guilty immediately because I felt that that was the expectation that I should feel at that I that this wave of love. And it didn't happen for, for, well, a good couple of weeks, really. Um, But it didn't mean that I didn't love my son. It was just that I think I was getting over the fact that how how he came into the world was a bit, you know, Mm. dramatic. Um, You know, and it's, like I said, and it's about sourcing that care. Speak to your GP, speak to your midwife. And if your midwife is crap, go to another midwife. And if your health visitor is crap, go to another one of them. You know, you don't have to be stuck with the same person. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to use your, your inner lioness and go, actually, no, I'm not happy with how you've spoken to me or how I'm being dismissed. I feel I need support. Yeah, and you're not being difficult doing that. You're you're advocating for yourselves like this this is a like massive life-changing thing you're going to go through you deserve to be supported how you want to be supported absolutely absolutely and and by accepting you know and admitting that as well isn't a failure it doesn't mean you're a bad mum or a bad parent you know because dads you know dads get depressed too after babies are born because their lives change too um but it's you know and you know 
birth partners of of any gender as well you know who are sharing your life with you it's it's a massive life-changing thing and you know it's one of those you can't get a refund so (laughs) um you know it it is about sort of it it isn't an admission of weakness or anything like that it is literally going wow this is uh, not what I expected it to be and that and that's fine it's absolutely fine and by Um, doing and voicing that you're going to help so many other people to see that yeah stuff like this is normal like it it does need normalizing yeah and and another thing as well is like I know a lot of people when I got pregnant decided to share everybody's you know everybody's horrific birth trauma stories which you know maybe not you know consider a bit of sensitivity maybe because you know I also think that yeah that's women sort of trying to process like their unresolved feelings around their birth they're they're trying to talk it through but obviously not in the not in the right way not to somebody who's newly pregnant or like imminently about to give birth (laughs) yeah there is there is a you know there is a sort of a, a fine line there and it's by all means you know be honest and open about your birth experiences but perhaps consider your audience as well you know if if they are newly pregnant or about to give birth it's it's a frightening time anyway being pregnant because you you you, it's not just you you have to worry about anymore and it's that you keep getting reminded every five minutes that it's not about you you're not sick you're (laughs) pregnant yeah Mm -hmm. but you know I was sick and pregnant so you know screw you guys <laughs> and then I wasn't pregnant and I was sick anyway so it was like you know just this, this whole cattiness needs to stop we, like I said we need to us women need to stick together yeah so yeah. um so yeah so on that note guys um so I just want to say a massive thank you to Rachel for joining us no, tonight thank you, for, thank you for inviting me I did I, did, I was like what are we going to talk about for like even 10 minutes <laughs> and like we've been on how long now just over an hour yeah exactly this is this is how it goes isn't it we get together <laughs> and that's it we put the world to rights so um like I said you know me and Rachel can't emphasize enough please 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 if you're struggling please speak to somebody whether they're you know a healthcare professional whether they're not whether it's just your mates at work your mum whoever uh, somebody your next door neighbor whoever just speak about it and if you feel judged speak to somebody else it's there is no shame in it and you know and I just want to wish everybody lots of love and um all the best for Rach because by the time we're probably allowed to see each other there'll be a little uh, another little person in the world so uh, I don't think there's going to be anything little about them considering how big <laughs> <laughs> so all right then so it's been an absolute pleasure night night then okay you take care and you lots too. of love yeah look at you in your tribe <laughs> bye thank you so so much for listening tonight um it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to rachel and having that interaction um on one of my episodes um which is a very very new experience for me and and i do apologize if there are any technical difficulties with the recordings tonight um 
because of obviously the current lockdown restrictions um, Rachel and I like I said we live on opposite ends of the UK right now and um, so we've had to do it remotely um, over the phone so um, I'm glad it kind of went without too many hitches um, so I just want to say a big massive thank you to her and for her drawing on her own experiences as well because I know um, even though I've talked about my experiences m- multiple times throughout my blogging um, sort of career if you like and throughout um, my podcasting it's still um, it's still always going to be there and it's still always going to have a bit of a negative um, it's always going to stir up some negative emotions there and some painful memories so um, you know so once again thank you so much Rachel for you know wholeheartedly for joining joining Ulster Colitis Motherhood and me chat tonight um, I hope it's been informative as well to, to people out there this evening um, you know not just expecting on new mums as well but dads too birth partners same sex partners whoever uh, you know mums dads whoever Um you know i do still think as much as you know there are campaigns now to try and strive for for better facilities and better services for maternal uh, mental health um unfortunately there is still a little bit of stigma there that still needs those barriers breaking down and there's still um you know unfortunately the use of language with some i say some not all people um, is still there and it's um, and it does have a massive impact on people um, especially on that transition into parenthood it's a, however well prepared you are however well um, whether it's your first baby or, or your, your 20th baby you know it, it's still going to be it's still going to stir up some emotions there some anxiety some worries you know and that's completely normal um, it's just how how you're met with those um, feelings and thoughts as well um, and it, it, just to emphasize again, you know, if you're not feeling 100%, I mean, you know, it, it's hard, you're, you're sleep deprived, you, you know, that there is no, there's no um, fatigue quite like sleep deprivation after having a baby. Um, and worries, thoughts, concerns that you may never have had before um, is completely normal. And please don't suffer in silence. Um, it's it's a massive leap to your recovery as soon as you can turn to somebody whether it's your partner whether it's a parent a friend a neighbor a a workmate anybody and just saying look do you know what I, i i'm not feeling too clever right now i'm not feeling too good it's not an admission of failure it's and it's an admission of strength if anything and you know and i was i remember speaking to my gp who at the time he had no kids himself um he's barely what about five years older than me if that and you know and although he probably didn't have he couldn't sort of relate in some senses he took my concerns very seriously and my worries and he and he strove to to ensure that i recovered and you know and i owe him my life in a sense you know because he also picked up the colitis too um, before anybody else did um, not everybody you know and not all healthcare professionals use this negative language I for one um, I always maintain that the the words you use and your approach has a massive impact on your patient care and unfortunately and I'm hoping it's going to be a dying breed of these people that use um, coercive sort of techniques and and negative language is gonna hopefully it's gonna disappear Um, you know it and it's it it just needs to be changed Um, 
And it's not just healthcare professionals, it's Joe Public too. And it's their impressions and expectations of what parenthood is. Um, at the end of the day, it's a very personal journey um, and a very special one. And however frightening it may be, it's also the most rewarding job in the world. And I just want to send big love out there to the lockdown mummers, the ones that have had to endure labour and, and birth and being new parents predominantly on their own. Um, you know, big love to you guys. You're amazing. You're an amazing generation of women. Um, and also to the new dads too that have perhaps missed out on some vital bonding time there. You know, big love to you guys too. Um, I just want to end tonight just reinforcing that the support services out there, the Maternal Mental Health Alliance, um, Pandas Foundation, the Blurtit Foundation, um, Mind, there are so many other um, supports out there that you know that you can contact them by phone, by text, even just reading up on the resources that they offer on their websites. Um, speak to your GP, your health visitor, your your midwife, anybody, you know, and and get that help that you you so deserve. And big big love to all of you tonight, and thank you so much for listening.